Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. Jesu. That would be a brilliant greeting. Anyone understand that? Got, got, got no, no one actually from Burundi, Changi, Murguanda. Anyway, that is, I greet you all in Jesus' name in Kirundi. I am white, but I'm also... Uh, Burundian. I'm dual nationalities, so British and Burundian. I've just finished uh, 20 years in Burundi. I don't know what you were doing 20 years ago, but that's quite a long time, isn't it? And I've just, we just finished there, literally. So we are in transition, and uh, from next year we'll be back in England. But meantime, uh, with my family, we're uh, traveling around the world to 33 countries, preaching and having an adventure uh, for the next 10 months. Uh, some pictures, okay, there you go. So if you didn't know where Burundi was, uh, that's where it is. It's in the heart of Africa. It's the hungriest country in the world. It's got the highest rate of malnutrition. Currently, it's the second poorest country in the world, but those poor countries, you're not fighting over much in terms of how bad things are. And according to a recent UN survey, it came out as the most miserable country in the world. So I know God wants his troops everywhere, but I really knew that he wanted us there to be part of uh, a beautiful uh, move of God. And often it's actually in the darkest places that the light shines brightest. And uh, it's been tough. People have tried to kill me. People I care about have been killed. Um, I have wept many tears over that precious nation. And so as I share with you this morning, you can see I'm coming from a very different context from Copenhagen, isn't it? It's very different, but it's the same Jesus. And it's the same call to passionate discipleship and surrender. So I want to encourage you this morning. I want to stir you up and challenge you in your journeys with him. Next one, hopefully, uh, shows, uh, is it, there you go, Bujumbura, that's the country, uh, that's the, the name of the capital, that's where we've lived and worked. And next one shows, sadly, what happened as of 2015. So when I went out, it was the most dangerous country in the world. I know that because my mum sent me through a newspaper article saying, eh, Burundi number one. I don't know if she was trying to encourage me, or what, but um, it was very dangerous. And then it got peaceful in 2003, 2005, and then 2015, it got really bad again. And I've cried more since 2015 than since I was a baby, because if you care about people, it hurts, doesn't it? And when friends, you know, really bad things have happened. Is this going on the internet or not, this sermon? Okay, I mean, so if it's going on the web, I wouldn't say stuff, you know, because it's, uh, you can imagine in in a conflict zone where certain things you, you, don't, you don't want to talk about. But it's, it's been really tough. Uh, and yet God is still faithful, and he's still on his throne. And if you're going through a difficult time this morning, be encouraged. Just hang on in there. Sometimes, sometimes we're on the mountaintop. Sometimes we're down there. Sometimes things are wonderful. Sometimes things are awful. But God is still on his throne, and he's still worth following. Next one. Uh, there's the family. So you might have recognized them from s- sitting uh, earlier, and they've gone out, most of them, to Sunday school. Um, so I thought I would die before the age of 30. I was 25 when God called me. When I was 25, I went to England's most expensive school. So I'm from a privileged upbringing, uh, and then I got a good job after a good university, and I was on that, that conveyor belt to success and wealth and uh, affluence, and, and, uh, but I prayed this prayer. So this is the prayer that took me to Burundi, and this is the prayer I would like us to finish with, if I remember, this morning. It's a prayer that took me to Burundi. God, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. Simple prayer. By the way, I don't want you to come to Burundi. That's not the agenda. Just want you to pray that prayer. It's a prayer that, God, you're in charge, I'm not. You're in control, I'm not. You know what's best for me. 
You put me on this planet for however many years, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want my highest ambition to be to arrive safely at death. A lot of people are living that way. That's not living. That's existing. And so that was my prayer. Lord, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. Anyway, cut, long story short, this man tracked me down. I received a scroll piece of paper with a name, number, ring him. So I rang him. We met up in England's, London's Wall Street equivalent financial center. Never met this guy. He said, I believe God sent me to you. He wants you to go to Burundi, be involved in youth mission evangelism. My heart is thumping in my chest. God, is this you? So I said to him, thanks, weirdo. I'll think about it. I'll, I'll be spiritual. I'll pray about it. I went back to my job. I'm in front of the computer, fasting, praying. So I'm like, God, if you want me to go to Burundi, give me a radical sign because that means leaving family, friends, security, career, everything. I'm going to this country where I might die and people have tried to kill me. So give me a radical sign to justify a radical change of career. I didn't wait long. Phone rang. So I've just asked for a radical sign about Burundi in a job that has nothing to do with Africa. Give me a radical sign. Phone rings. I pick it up. The voice said, do you know anyone who wants to work in Burundi? Now, what do you do with that? Now, either I'm lying, or that's a coincidence, or I think we'll agree that wasn't a coincidence. That was a God incident. The God looked down in his grace and mercy and gave me a very clear answer so that maybe when I'm going through some really tough times, I can hang on in there. And, you know, God might speak to you like that. He probably won't. He speaks all the time if we get off our social media and if we just listen and if we give him the time and focus in and, you know, seek his face. He will speak. He'll speak through circumstances. He's got to speak to us now as we look at the word. Uh, he'll speak through common sense. Sometimes faith overrides common sense. He'll speak through the, the body together, accountability groups, whatever. Seek God's face, but pray that prayer. Because I, in the last 20 years, have had the chance to see a few hundred thousand people come to know Jesus. It's been amazing. God is so big. And yet sometimes we can be discouraged and God becomes very small. So again, I want to encourage you this morning. So that's why I'm in Burundi. And uh, I, when I proposed to my wife, I said, are you ready to be a young widow? So maybe that's not your normal um, wedding proposal. But she, um, she said yes. Uh, and, uh, and then I got, you know, had the chance to have children. All these things I didn't expect because I thought I'd be dead before then. But we're still alive. That means there's more work to be done. But look at my daughter there because she is named after the next one. So next picture. So I held that girl in 1997 and I heard her story. She started her life down a toilet. So her mom gave birth and threw her away. And the reason she didn't die was her neck got caught in the U-bend of the toilet. And someone was about to go and they reached down they fished her out. They got on her themselves as they cleaned her. And they fed her through a straw like a little bird. And now next one, 18 years later, that's her. And uh, she's, she's a beautiful lady inside and out. And uh, I love it that as God sort of wove our lives together. 18 years later, next one, she ends up being our babysitter. But you know, when Lizzie and I, when it came to having children, I said, if God ever blesses us with a daughter, I want to name our daughter after that girl. Why? Because my friend who adopted that girl gave her the most beautiful name. And so little, little white one is named after big black one in that picture. They're both called Grace. And I love that name. Any Graces in the house? Great name. Hannah, same deal, means Grace. Uh, because, you know, I don't know if that's, that's my story. It doesn't matter whether we're multi-merging rapists, pillaging idiots in Central Africa, or very self-absorbed people here in Copenhagen. You all need, we all need God's grace, don't we? And God reaches down into the pit of our lives 
and picks us up, like in that story, and cleans us off and takes up on himself in Jesus on the cross so that we can be clean and acceptable. And he looks at us and says, mm, you're beautiful. I love you, my precious child. Now, come on, live. How far did, how far is, you know, what I'm, as I'm living out my, my faith, I'm like, how far is too far when Jesus went that far? And he didn't go that far for us just to be nice people in Copenhagen. He went that far for all of us to live lives of costly surrender in the arts, in media, in politics, education, business, wherever he's called us. But praying that prayer, I'll do anything. I'll go anywhere. I don't want just to be a nice person. This message is not about being nice. It's not religion. Religion is trying to earn our way to God. But in that pit, you cannot earn your way to God, can you? You cannot get out of the pit. But God, Jesus, God with flesh on, comes down and picks us up. And he says, come on, live. Now, that's a beautiful, energizing way to live in response to what God's done for us. So that's grace. And uh, the last part of her ongoing story is that a few months ago, from the pit of a toilet, next one, she graduates summa cum laude with distinction from an American prestigious university on scholarship. I mean, that's God, isn't it? From the pit of a toilet to living the dream. Now, some of you, you're still down that pit, and he wants to pick you up this morning. And some of us, you're going through a hard time. I, I'm a visitor. You'll never see me again. But God wants to speak to you and encourage you. Encourage you, challenge. Those two things. That's the aim this morning as we submit to the Scriptures. Maybe a couple more. Um, next one shows. Now, this is just, you know, when I talk about the hungriest country, no, we cannot understand statistics. 56% malnourished. That's horrific. But this, that blonde-haired girl, she's the daughter of my Canadian friend. She's, um, you know, she's, she's four years old in that picture. The girl next to her, is four years old. And that's just a visual. That's sick and wrong, isn't it? She's probably dead now. If she's not dead, she's got stunted brain development and she, she will never thrive. And that's wrong. And, you know, that makes me angry. You know, I think God wants us to get angry. Jesus, you know, got angry when he saw the misuse of his father's house. The Bible doesn't say don't be angry. It says be angry and don't sin or in your anger don't sin. But there's lots of stuff in Copenhagen to get angry about, be it sexually trafficked ladies or, you know, domestic violence or, you know, I mean, there's just so many. You can't list them all. But all that it takes for evil to prosper is for good people to do nothing. That was what, I forget the guy's name who said that. But, you know, let's not just be good people doing nothing. And I'm not accusing you of that. But it's like, maybe the Lord will speak this morning. There's something to, you know, give your life to. And say, this is worth living for. Next one. And what we've done, literally, last month, we sent out 600 evangelists. We've done this for 13 years now. Can you imagine? 600 people times 14 days times two weeks times eight hours a day. That's a lot of very intentional outreach, isn't it? And during that time, they led 5,780 people first time to Jesus. And that's mind-blowing, isn't it? And over, we've led 100,000 people plus over the years through that methodology of going out there. And they go out and they do the Acts of the Apostles. So what do we read about in the Acts of the Apostles? They get beaten up. Yeah, they get beaten up. Get put in prison. Yeah, put, put in prison. Casting out demons, healing the sick. You know, next one. There's a witch doctor burning his chance publicly to, and submitting to the higher power. You know, if you mess with the witch doctor out there, bzz, he'll curse you, and maybe your two-year-old will die or whatever, but people live in real fear, the witch doctor. And our guys showed up, and he started doing his juju things, and then one of them spoke the name of Jesus, and he fell down under the power of God. And he came to a few moments later and said, could you, could you come back in two days? They returned two days later. He assembled the village. And this is the guy that's the, the spiritual head honcho, and you don't mess with him. And, and there, he's burning his chance publicly, submitting to Jesus, the high, highest power. And at the preaching of the gospel, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. 
That's our Jesus. In one instant, this lady said, go away. We're not interested in your Jesus. And then as they were retreating, she said, oh, come back. I will let you speak to my village on condition you heal this demon-possessed girl. I mean, what she was saying was, don't just talk, but show us the power. And they gather around this girl. Now, most, most people in Denmark don't even believe in demons. I, I, I hope you, you, you do, um, because, you know, we, we, every worldview has got blind spots. There are demons in the Bible. There are demons today, just as Satan often uses different strategies in different countries. And they gather around this girl. They prayed over her. And as they prayed in the name of Jesus, the battle went on, that spiritual battle, and different men's or deep voices were identified and cast out in the name of Jesus. And, and straight away, that lady who five minutes earlier was telling them where to go is now on her knees with 20 other people giving their lives to Jesus, seeing the power of God. That's our Jesus in a different context. But that Jesus is Lord of Copenhagen, is Lord of Denmark. And he's calling all of us into a deeper relationship with him. Okay, that's context, okay? That's where I'm coming from as we look at the scriptures now. So if you've got your Bibles, can you open them? And we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. And uh, can you start? Can you grab that? Um, I'll explain that. Now, wherever I go, I, I say, um, listen up, guys. I say, I, I'm not after your money. You've got your own you know, missionaries you support. And I'm not after you coming out to Burundi. If you, if you could bless me in any way, the reason I'm still alive, I believe, you know, I've driven along a road and 40 people have been killed. I've had a guy, come, you'll hear about that, death threats and stuff. The reason we're alive and still in the fight is because people pray for us. So just pass this along. If you don't want to sign up, don't, because you've got too much email, that's fine. But if you do, that's the benefit, we'll leave. And you get to hear these stories through the year. I send about six, six emails a year. So pass it on if you don't want to. If you do, brilliant. Okay, Romans 12. If you want a title to the talk, we'll call it To Be a Living Sacrifice. Three things from these verses. Well, let's read them first of all. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, those are great verses. They're also very well known. I'm sure you've come across them. But I'm going to just come out with three things in the limited time we've got. To be a living sacrifice means dot, dot, dot. So first of all, to be a living sacrifice means to live urgently. To be a living sacrifice means to live urgently. Look at that in verse 1. It says, therefore, I urge you. It's not a soft word. It's I urge you, I plead with you, I beseech you, I beg you. It's not you might want to consider. How about doing this? Paul is saying, I urge you to get on the altar. Here's the altar. I'm not going to literally get on it now, but maybe it'll be more memorable if I do just stand on it. Maybe sacrilegious. I don't know. But, but he's saying, I want you to get on the altar. I want you to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Now, why is, he, why is Paul urging us? He's urging us because this is urgent. The stakes are incredibly high. Why are they so high? And he died for it. Jesus died for it. He says, you know, this is, this is a serious business. It's urgent because what do the scriptures say? If people choose to reject Christ, they will reject him, not just for this life, but into eternity. You know, I've preached, and two days later, the people I was preaching to have died, been attacked. I've expected to die. You know, some of you might be thinking, 
you know, if you're living in that environment, it must be really horrible. You know what? Because particularly 1999 to 2003, I thought I was going to die next week all the time. And that could sound grim, but it was brilliant. Because, you know, if you think you're going to die next, next, next week, you're, you're not going to spend six hours on PlayStation today. You know, there's too much to live for. You don't watch 10 hours of TV you, because this is the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to make the most of my... I'm not, I'm not going to exist. I'm going to live. If you think you're going to die next week, you're going to think, you know, I don't want to have any bitterness or resentment left between anyone. I want everyone on this planet to have peace with. I want to say sorry or accept their, 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 their forgiveness. Or, you know, I, I just want my relationships to be in order. I want everyone to know that I love them, you know, that I'm in relationship with. I, you know, you just live with a sense of focus that it's important to make your life count. My grandfather was a, a great man of faith. He translated the Bible in Rwanda into the Rwandan national language. And when he died, they, 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 when they put him in the ground, the speaker said this of him. They said, Peter Gilbo worked as if he'd lived forever and lived as if he'd die tomorrow. I like that with qualification because we need Sabbath rest and we work from a place of rest. But I would like them to say that of me, Simon Gilbert, Peter Gilbert, whoever we are, we, we worked as if we lived forever, full on maximizing our, our days. And we lived as if we might die tomorrow. And I thought I would die in an ambush. You know, that's the most likely way, driving along these roads. And, uh, you know, a friend, well, my colleague's husband was shot dead in the head. And he was killed with six other men. His name was Donatien. And now... The comfort for Romaine as a widow with four children in a country where there's no social security system, her comfort was that the Nation is now free. Yeah. No mourning, no nepotism, no ethnic corruption, no hunger, no fear. You know, he's free from that. He was ready to meet his maker. But he was killed with six other men. Now, were they ready? That's my question. Because if they weren't ready, what did the scriptures say? Well, Jesus said, for example, John 3, 36 said, whoever believes in me has eternal life. Whoever rejects me will not see life for God's wrath or anger remains on him or her. Now that's heavy. Paul wrote in Thessalonians, first, second Thessalonians uh, 1 verses 8 and 9, he says, God is going to actually, it's going to punish those who don't know him and don't obey the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. That's heavy. But we know God's heart. So Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3 uh, verse 9, God's desire, God's will is that no one should perish, that all should be saved. So that's God's heart. God wants everyone. He's saying, Jesus said, come to me, every, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, I'm going to give you rest. The invitation is for everyone. It's very inclusive. This message is inclusive, isn't it? It's for everyone. But he wants us to repent and believe and change and turn about and live for him. Now, if we believe, I've just quoted to you Orthodox scripture there. If we believe that, we're going to live with a sense of urgency because the stakes are high. So that's the first thing. To be a living sacrifice is to live urgently. Secondly, to be a living sacrifice is to give unreservedly. Therefore, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers, sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. He's saying, get on the altar. Now listen, it's always in response to grace. So at the end of chapter 11, he's been, he's, it's called a doxology, it says there, but spontaneous song of praise because chapters 9 to 11, we're talking about it's not just the Jews that have access to God's grace, it's, it's even Danes. It's even Hutus and Tutsis and, 
Japanese and Iraqians and Canadians. I mean, it's, 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 it, that was a wild message. And so he sings at the end of chapter 11 and then says, therefore, grace, in view of God's mercy. Now, in view of his mercy, in view of his graces. Again, that, that plural, and again, Danish, it's a, it's a singular word. In English, it's a singular word because we say in view of God's mercy. It's a plural word in the Greek. In view of God's mercies. Now, why do I put emphasis on that? Because, you know, sometimes we complain. I'm, I'm English, and our, our national pastime is moaning. That's, that's, we're just great moaners. And, <clears throat> and yet, when I'm tempted to complain and moan and self-pity, I, just, I think of this verse, and I think of the mercies of God in my life. I, can, I had this guy come trying to kill me once. He came to my house with a grenade to blow me up. He wrote me a letter saying he was going to cut out my eyes. Now, that clearly wasn't a fun experience, but it was one of the best experiences of my life. Why? Because for the first time in my life, I thanked God that I could see something that I'd always taken as a right, as a gift. And we, you, we, we, we live in an entitlement culture, don't we? Where it's all about our rights. And so when we don't get what we want, it's, a, it's, a, it's an affront to my divine right to happiness, fulfillment, whatever, which makes us grumpy and complaining. Now listen, two minutes on this one. You could, this could just change your life. Some of us, we need to be less grumpy and less complaining and more grateful. Grateful people are happy people. When I'm tempted to complain, I go through the grace gifts of God in my life. I can see. I've got a body that works. I can read and write. I think of a 15-year-old girl in one of our youth camps. She stood up. She confessed to sleeping with a priest to get three euros for her school fees. Three euros. Now, I don't judge that girl. I hope you, you, you don't. I think you precious sisters, you would probably have done that out there. Otherwise, you'd still be illiterate in first grade. So there's no room, no room to judge. I've got food and loads of food. I've never had to pray, give us today our daily bread and mean it. Because there's always the Salvation Army or someone's going to give me some food here. I think of a little boy I could have shown his photo. He was found on a rubbish dump. We'd been eating mud for a year and they had to cut the stones out of his gums. We do have freedom in this nation to say Jesus is Lord. 250 million Christians in the world don't have that freedom. Am I going to use it? So I go through the gifts. I got access to healthcare, and, and, and through a beautiful social security system, actually, I, I can just see a doctor like that. My, my pastor's 18-year-old brother died in his arms for the lack of three euros for the medicine across the counter. Three euros for life. I've had that disease umpteen times, but, and I have that money. That's just wrong, isn't it? And so, you know, grateful people are happy people. I'm grateful to be alive. This morning, I'm grateful I can see. I'm grateful for so much. And, and that is a very energizing and actually evangelistic force for good. So some of you, you need to hear that. Lighten up. Stop complaining. And in view of God's mercies, get on the altar. And live urgently and give unreservedly. So he's saying, get on the altar and don't bargain with me because aren't we, aren't we good bargainers with God? We'll say, God, I'll do that if you give me a husband. Or I'll do that if you pay the bills. Or I'll obey you if it doesn't cost me too much. Or... You know, my temptation of bargaining was, um, God, I'll do this if you protect the children. I think any parent here would echo that one. And sometimes our children become idols. And of course, they're given to us to take care of. But what's the best thing we can model to our kids? It's faith, authentic faith and surrender. And so that they develop their own faith stories. 
And if we're just living like everyone else, and we're insisting on having total control, then how are they going to see the reality of faith? We've got to step out of our comfort zones and, and, and embrace a life of risk and challenge so that actually we really need him rather than playing it safe. Sometimes I think, am I following Jesus or am I expecting him to follow me on my terms, at my convenience, me setting the parameters of the relationship? He says, get on the altar. It was uh, Oswald Chambers who said that uh, when we hold on to areas of our life that are our own, they are areas of death. And in love, he claims all There's no bargaining with him. Can you think of anything you're bargaining with God on? He's saying, that's death. Trust me. God's got big hands. Embrace that. God's got big hands. He's saying, get on the altar. In view of God's mercy, trust me. So to be a living sacrifice is to live urgently. It's to give unreservedly. And thirdly, lastly, it's to be transformed radically. Verse 2, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What's his, his will? Good, pleasing, and perfect. So we've got to trust God on this one, that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect. Otherwise, we won't do this. But he's saying, get on the altar. I'm not going to force you. you, you you're, I urge you, because it's so important, to offer yourself. Um, I did a discipleship series of films uh, 13 films on radical discipleship. And on one film, I took up a goat and a lamb up a mountain to slaughter them um, to do, illustrate um, how, things, how things work. Now, by the way, I didn't kill them. That was the whole point of the film, is that we're not stuck in the Old Testament in case people look at me with daggers like, <laughs> you horrible man. Um, but you know what? As I took those animals up the, up the mountain with my knife to slaughter them, um, off camera they also lived out what I was illustrating because I had to yank that goat all the way up the mountain. And the lamb, after 50 meters, I realized I could let go of the string because he just, he just came up the mountain with me. And, you know, in the Old Testament, you, you would typically offer a goat or a lamb, and a goat, you know, you had to tie up the goat because, because he knew the altar was a place of death, freaking out. Whereas the lamb... He just went there peacefully. And Jesus was led like a goat to the slaughter, wasn't he? No. Jesus was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Behold the lamb, John 1, 29. Behold the lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. John 1, yeah, John 1, 29, John the Baptist. And or, or Isaiah 53, led like a lamb to the slaughter. We are not forced into this. I'm just urging you with Paul this morning to get on the altar. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. You can be holy, and we can be pleasing to Him. And sometimes we've been crushed a bit by religion, and we don't think we can be holy or pleasing. And your life might be a mess this morning, and you might feel condemned and judged and crushed, and you can't approach God. And listen, we are all sinners. We've all messed up. We are all works in progress on a journey. But if you're trying to please Him, even in the mess, if you're trying to please him, he's pleased. And hear that and be encouraged in that. Doesn't mean things don't need to change. It's not 
compromising God's truth. But if you're trying to please him, he's pleased. He says, keep on going, my child. Keep on going. Holy and pleasing to God. And this is your spiritual act of worship. Now, the Greek word for spiritual there is logiken, from which we get logical. And, and I'm with Paul on his logic, because what he's saying is that, you know, if we this morning in Copenhagen at, the, at, at, at this church here right now, if we have come here on a Sunday, well, it's afternoon now, isn't it? But, but uh, you know, there's so many other things we could be doing, aren't there? And if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we, if he didn't conquer sin, death, the devil, then we're wasting our time. With, and in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, he said, if we have hope only for this life, we're to be pitied above all people. Pity is like, eh, you know, I don't want to be pitied. But if Jesus isn't who he claimed to be, we are to be pitied. We're wasting our time. But if he is who he said he is, if he did what he said he'd do and rose from the dead, and it is an empty cross and an empty tomb, then we're not too pitied. We are the only people, you know, we're on track. We've got it right. And then it's worth giving your whole life for. How far is too far when Jesus went that far? And so it's worth being on the altar because it's a painful place to be, but it's the right place to be. And some of us, you know, we're tempted to step off the altar. But I want to encourage you, you know, if you're going through a tough time, stay on in there, even if it's, because it is burning. It's a place of burning off the dross and the impurities. It's a place of dying to self. There's a bunch of ladies in Kentucky in the States, and they were doing a Bible study on Malachi, the book of Malachi, chapter 3, third week, third verse. It says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And they discussed that picture. Okay, so God's the silversmith. We're the silver in the furnace. It's burning. It's hot. It's painful. One lady wanted to get the full richness of understanding that picture. So the next day, she went to a silversmith. said, do you mind if I watch you? said, yeah, come on in. So she sat down and watched him, and verse 3 says, he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. So she was like, after a while watching him, she said, yeah, but do you have to sit the whole time whilst the refining process is taking place? And he said, yes, ma'am, I have to sit the whole time with my eyes intently fixed on the furnace, because if the refining process is exceeded by the slightest degree, then the silver will be damaged. And she thought, oh, that's cool. So I'm going through a really tough time right now, but God's heavenly father, He's got his eyes on me in the furnace, and he won't let me be taken an incy-wincy bit beyond what's right because he doesn't want me to be damaged. And she said, thank you, and she's walking out, and he said, hang on. And he'd forgotten to tell her one thing, and that was that he only knew that the refining process was complete when he could see his image reflected in the silver. Isn't that beautiful? And you might be going through a tough time this, mo- this morning, this afternoon. Hang on in there. You know, biggest influence in my life from, from the smallest people, my cute little mom, you know, down here. But what a big influence. Because she reflects Christ to me. Servant-hearted, loving, gracious, forgiving, patient, kind, all those things. Not the stuff that you put on your CV or resume to, you know, to get a job, but, but you know, beauty. And when it says don't conform... They'll be transformed. You know, Jesus, he did not conform to culture. The temptation in this nation for the body of Christ is to conform, isn't it? To conform, to tone it down on so many, so many ethical issues. And, and, and then we just blend in and there's no difference. And we need to be transformed radically by the renewing of our minds. Now, 
you know, the J.B. Phillips paraphrased version of this is don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, and everything is squeezing us into a different mold unless we live very intentionally. You know, the lies of advertising. You know, in the West, well, I listened to a TED Talk this week, uh, and I have been quoting three and a half thousand adverts a day. This TED Talk said that in the West, we are bombarded with four to 10,000 adverts a day. Call it three and a half thousand. Can you imagine that? That's three and a half image, thousand images that buy this. You are not a man without this. You know, I got friends that during television, they stop during the adverts with their children and they say, what's the lie in this advert? And they're teaching their, their kids to think critically. That's good, isn't it? Because we don't think critically and we end up getting taken out by these lies. For example, on clothing. Now, don't feel condemned if you've got a designer label, but, but you know, you know, we literally will spend an extra two, three hundred krona or whatever just to get whatever design label on it because you fall for that sucker lie that you've got more value if you've got the designer label. Now, when you unpack that, deconstruct that, uh, you know, what a waste of time. It's because lies, adverts, you're not fully man, you're not sexy, you're not whatever. It's saying, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. But being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let's not fall for those lies. We are made different. We serve a king. We serve the kingdom of God. And, and everything is going to squeeze us into a different mold to settle in and tone things down and be respectable and don't stand for truth. And say, no, get on the altar. And it will be costly. It will be costly. And I don't know about you, but I, I, I can't do this by myself but I can do it with you. I've written a book called uh, More Than Conquerors, uh, a, a Call to Radical Discipleship. Now, More Than Conquerors is Romans 8, 37. Romans 8, 37, obviously, 37 comes after verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. It's a tough call, isn't it? He's saying, I want you in. Get on the altar. It's a place of burning off impurities. Don't step off, don't step off the altar, because if you step out of God's will, step out of God's will, you step into nowhere. I've been nowhere as a follower of Christ. That's quoting C.S. Lewis. He says, you step out of God's will, you step into nowhere. Some of us, get back on the altar. If you're on the altar, tempted to get off, just hang on in there. And we are more than conquerors, because we do it together. You do it as family, we do it as life groups, small groups, accountability groups. I'd urge you to be in an accountability group. I was preaching this morning with a, with a, uh, at Morton's church, and this lady came up to me and said, can you pray for me? And, and how can I live this? And, and I said, well, you know, you need to find a few other families just to, to do life with and not to judge each other, but to encourage each other, stir each other up, because in a city, it's easy to just get lost in the mix. And, and, you know, we model these kingdom values together. We, a lone ranger by himself, easy to shoot down. Together, union is strength. So to be a living sacrifice is to live urgently, it's to give unreservedly, and it's to be transformed radically. And as I cycled, when I did my theological studies in London, as I cycled across London Bridge, I used to think of a guy called D.L. Moody, one of my heroes, Dwight Lyman. He was known as D.L., he was from Chicago. He didn't have a, much of an education. And yet, before the internet or TV, he probably led, you know, they, they guesstimate that he led a million people to Jesus. He was a phenomenally anointed man. 
Now, earlier on in his life, he was in Chicago having a chat with a guy called Varley, Henry Varley, and they had this conversation, this seminal moment in, in Moody's life, and Varley said, DL, the world has yet to see what God will do with one man on women, fully consecrated to him. The world has yet to see what God will do with one man, one woman on the altar, fully consecrated to him. And DL started thinking about that. The world has yet to see what God will do, will do with one man, any, any man, he thought to himself, doesn't have to have an education. He didn't have an education of any note. Any man, any. And then he concluded, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. Well, by the grace of God, I've tried to be that man in Burundi the last 20 years. It's been unbelievably fruitful. It's been amazing. But we're not called to numbers. When I talk about 200,000 people, it's not about numbers. It's about faithfulness to the call of God in your life. I don't have the faith to believe that, you know, you're going to see 200,000 people come to Christ like that right now. I mean, God can pour out His Spirit in a revival, can't He? But Danes are tougher nuts to crack, and the culture is different. But He's saying, be faithful. Get praying. Get living intentionally. Recognize that there's a war going on. There's a war going on. And bombs are falling here. You know, I've listened to real bombs falling. Praise God in Denmark, there's peace. But know that there's a battle going on. And I've only been here three days, but I can see those bombs falling all over the place. Look over there. Comfort. Apathy. Moral relativism. Materialism. And guys, we need to wake up and engage, and we do that together. So I want to bless you in Jesus' name, and I just wonder what the Lord wanted you to hear this morning. Some of us, we just need encouragement. If you just, if you've had, if you had so many blows and you're wounded and injured, you just, just take the encouragement. I think most of us, we need a bit of both. And what did God want me to, you know, is it, is it compromise? Is it areas of surrender, areas of death? And you think, stop bargaining. Is it resolving to get on the altar fully? Is it embracing that, that uh, journey of refinement and which takes to glory, doesn't it? Was it 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18? And we all with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. It's a long-term journey, isn't it? As we grow in holiness. Some of you just need to know that you know, I give you my best shot and his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You can be holy and pleasing. You see twice, pleasing comes through. You can have a different, wrong perspective of God. You can be pleasing to him. Hang on in there. You can be holy. Some of us, you think of that scale of urgency and apathy. Maybe urgency is here for Jesus and apathy is there. And you think, I am so at this end. And Paul is saying, get on. Let's, let, let's live urgently. There's all sorts of stuff, but uh, I'll close in prayer right now, and let's just listen to what the Lord says in the silence of our own hearts. So why don't you just shut your eyes and bow your heads. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. 
to listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.